Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome in. This is the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I am Eric Pfeiffer. Glad to have you along. And we're here today. We're going to discuss a new path we're taking with the Soil Health Podcast. We're going to expand things a little bit. And to do that, I have a couple of folks here with me. Of course, you've heard her on the podcast here before, Lisa Holscher, the director of CCSI, the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, proud sponsor of this podcast. And we also have Liz Maynard, Purdue Extension Specialist in the Department of Horticulture and Landscape Architecture. We're glad to have both of them here. And Lisa, let's let's talk about this. Uh, we're, we're trying to go down a different path and maybe do some different things with this Soil Health podcast. Explain a little bit of what we're thinking here. Well, the expansion is a great word to use in this case. Um, we are now into what our third season, well into our third season of Soil Health Podcasts. And we just felt that we could go ahead and take this opportunity and expand the audience a little bit. We've concentrated on commodity crop production, predominantly corn, soybeans, some wheat, as well as grazing. But there's a whole wealth of other ag out in Indiana. If you're down here where I am in southwestern Indiana, you're in the middle of melon country. That's what we would consider to be a specialty crop. Melons, pumpkins, tomatoes. Liz can talk about that more. And so we're expanding this Soil Health podcast to reach those farmers, as well as people who may know some of those farmers through CSAs or community-supported agriculture, um, visiting their local farmers markets. Um, this will give a lot of individuals across the state an opportunity to really better understand how healthier soil can help improve our farmers' bottom lines, help improve the resiliency of these crops to climate extremes, as well as financial extremes. So, Liz, uh, again, you're you're with Purdue. You've been at this for a while. Do us a favor, introduce yourself first, and then talk a little bit about what folks can expect to hear when they tune into these specialty crop soil health podcasts. Sure. Well, I'm I'm really excited to be joining in this uh, podcast effort. I, uh, as you said, I'm an extension specialist with the Department of Horticulture and Landscape Architecture at Purdue. I'm based in northern Indiana in what they call the region and. Porter County and um, uh, work with vegetable producers all across the state of various sizes and am really excited to be uh, getting involved with getting more information about cover crops out to people and and other uh, soil health topics. We're hoping to hear from some, uh, our. we'll talk more about our first episode about pumpkins in, in cover crops and no-till planting of pumpkins in cover crops. And then we're we're looking forward to hearing a little bit about how to manage for pollinators and other beneficial insects and what growers can do to, to help keep those necessary parts of our uh, farming systems alive and well. I'm hoping we'll be able to talk about planting sweet corn into cover crops and also get into some discussion about what types of cover crops you can use and how you can manage them on uh, small farms like you might have in, in urban agriculture or smaller farms where 
people are using smaller equipment like walk behind tractors and so on. Also, hoping to uh, talk about how the uh, soil amendments influence soil health. There's a lot of different things people can use from composts to organic fertilizers to non-organic fertilizers. And we're learning more about that, how those influence soil health and how they influence the microbes in the soil. So hopefully we'll be able to hear about those as well. So Eric, I got to tell you, it's been great working with Liz. We've had the opportunity to work with Liz for what the last couple, three years as we expanded our soil health trainings for conservation staff across the state. Liz has been an integral part of the CCSI team to really bring that specialty crops and how soil health practices can be incorporated into specialty crop production. So we're really excited. And Liz can tell you how giggly I got last week. Uh, we're very excited to bring her on and make these connections. And for a lot of people out across the state right now who um, may be first-time gardeners, I would highly suggest logging in, listening to these soil health podcasts, because there's a lot they can pick up that will apply to their home gardens as well. You mean that home garden that I have to go clean out every year because it didn't quite go the way we wanted to? Yeah, I'll, I'll tune in. Um, <laughs> so... So, Liz, let's let's talk about pumpkins. That's the first podcast. That's what we're going to discuss here today on the podcast. Uh, it's not October. That's when a lot of folks start thinking about pumpkins, but uh, the, the ones that grow them need to start thinking about them far sooner. Oh, yeah. And um, one of the things that's uh, kind of exciting, or I guess anyone who's been to a pumpkin patch in the fall might have possibly walk through some mud. We often have wet in September, October. But one of the things that uh, growers are doing to reduce the amount of mud for them as they harvest pumpkins, as well as if they have you pick pumpkins, is planting pumpkins into a killed cover crop. So like a killed uh, rye cover crop. And that can act as a, uh, then a mulch that can last all season and uh, keep the pumpkins cleaner and uh, make it less muddy for whoever's going in there and picking them. So our talk today will be about uh, what's that all about? How do growers do that? What are some of the benefits aside from having clean pumpkins? And uh, how do you get a good stand of pumpkins established? How do you make sure that cover crop doesn't uh, stay alive too long and hurt hurt your pumpkins? And how do you uh, manage the weeds in that in that situation? So we're excited to to hearing some from some uh, folks in Indiana and. Uh, and uh, Illinois who, who use that system and how they've got it to work on their operations. This is the Hat Soil Health Podcast. It's presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can get more on their programs and events at ccsin.org. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and we are talking about no-till pumpkins today, and I've got a great lineup of folks to talk about it. I've got Amanda and Jacob Baird, Nathan Johanning, and Rod Johnson. They're all here to discuss they're no-till pumpkin operations. And let's begin. Amanda, Jacob, you're both there together. If you wouldn't mind, Amanda, introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your operation. Yes, of course. So uh, my name is Amanda Baird, and we run an oper a pumpkin operation called East Union Pumpkin Patch in Tipton County. We are beginning um, pumpkin farmers, so this will be our third growing season. It's strictly a U-pick. We have about uh, four to five acres of pumpkins, and we do a corn maze as well as other activities for families. Great. Thank you for joining us. Nathan, what about you? Uh, you're, you're coming to us from Illinois today. 
Yes, I am. Uh, I'm in Southern Illinois, actually in the kind of the St. Louis Metro East area. I kind of have two roles uh, with pumpkins from the perspective first as a grower. I do grow pumpkins around uh, around five acres or so, um, all no-till. And this will be the 15th year the, for me growing pumpkins. Uh, so I do that on the side through some local markets. I do some wholesale and also retail at farmers markets and fall festivals. I also work for the University of Illinois Extension where I am an extension educator uh, working in uh, commercial crops, including pumpkins and have coordinated a lot of pumpkin field days and other events and do a lot of uh, grower education, working with fellow growers, trying to share new research and, and other management tactics. So that's just a little bit about kind of where I fit into the, the pumpkin world. Great, Nathan. Thank you for joining us today. And Rod Johnson is here. Rod, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, and how many pumpkins do you have out there? Well, we're from uh, Hobart, Indiana. That's uh, up in the north. Uh, I guess we're on the far eastern side of Lake County. We have a family farm. I guess we're the fourth generation here, the market. We have uh, a roadside market, a big greenhouse bedding plant business and we've been known for growing strawberries for oh i don't know since about 1958 uh pumpkins and the fall in the fall fest fun farm deal is something new to us i believe this is the fourth season for it we have grown pumpkins for retail for many years but we've kind of shifted into this no-till in the last five or six we raise anywhere from eight to 15 acres, depending on the year. This this year with the uh, virus is going to be a little bit interesting to decide what we're going to plant. But uh, most of them are you pick. We do pick some for our market, but now most everything is you pick. So Rod, let's let's start there. What was it? You say that you've been, uh, you've been at this for a long time, obviously fourth generation. What made you decide to get into no-till pumpkin production? And take me through the process of, of what you do with that no-till pumpkin production. Well, the the fun, what we call the fun farm, uh, has kind of evolved from, uh, at one time our farm had as many as 80 acres of you-pick strawberries, and the people out of Chicago would come in droves to pick strawberries, and in the 90s, that U-Pick pretty much died out, and we were selling strawberries with about eight or ten different uh, satellite roadside stands. And getting help is getting to be a harder thing to get them picked. So we have kind of uh, transitioned into this fun farm. We open up uh, with festivals in June, and it kind of draws more people out. People aren't aren't canning or aren't picking for the canning and freezing of it. They're they're picking now for the family memories, and uh, the no-till the no pumpkins, uh, the, I guess the main reason, we've kind of, our whole farm operation, other than some of the vegetables, because we grow a complete line of uh, just about every kind of vegetable you can uh, and use about every different system you can. Uh, we have a, a cold frame with some uh, tomatoes now that'll be ready early. We do plastic culture. But whenever we can, we try not to work the soil. And so we kind of got into the, the pumpkins and have been playing around with the rye, letting it get, uh, we let it get oh, as tall as it can without making viable seed before we go in and plant the pumpkins. And then we roll it down and put our pre-plant, uh, our 
pre-emerge chemicals on. And pretty much we've been fortunate enough that that, that thick blanket of rye will keep the weeds down. It gives the people, um, the pumpkins aren't dirty on a wet year. It, the field stays a little drier. They've got a place to walk because the public doesn't want to go in and get their feet muddy, I guess, basically. Amanda, Jacob, is that pretty similar to, to how your operation works as well with, with your UPIC uh, farm there? Yeah, it is very similar. I would say the only difference is sometimes we would do a burn down on our rye because we are new. We just want, we're experimenting with different ways to terminate the rye, but it does make a huge difference as far as the pumpkin staying clean and the field being much nicer for individuals when they come out. And Nathan, how about you over there in Illinois? Uh, I'm, I would say, fairly similar to that. I have a unique situation, especially being a little further south. A lot of our pumpkins, we will double crop after wheat. So we'll actually have a harvested wheat crop and, and go into that. Uh, however, I have done some with cereal rye as well. And when I do, yeah, usually trying to trying our best to terminate before we have mature seed. Occasionally, I will get some mature seed. And, and I've had to handle that. It's volunteer rye is usually one of the, the least of my weed worries, at least that I, it's something I can handle, although of course try to avoid it. One difference I do have is um, for, for my pumpkins, I do uh, no-till transplant them rather than, than direct seed them. But other than that, you know, uh, pre-plant and herbicides and things to help manage weeds and, and the residue in combination is, uh, is really beneficial. The clean fruit, uh, we don't have you pick, but still, you know, we need to heart if we have a market or something, we're harvesting sometimes even in the rain, if that's what the weather dictates. And, you know, to be able to get out in the field and not sink down to your ankles in mud, uh, just, it makes, uh, if nothing else, life just more pleasant and you can get a lot more accomplished, I feel, um, because you're not fatigued from wading through the mud. Um, even on some of the rainy days with the residue, you know, there's hardly any, any mud on my boots. I want to get back to some of the, the cover crop termination, but, but first there, Nathan, you mentioned you, you do transplanting of your pumpkins instead of direct seeding. Can you talk about the difference and, and what ultimately that means for you? Uh, so for me, I actually, when I first kind of got some advice and, and learned from some other uh, growers, kind of a mentor of mine had transplanted, uh, pumpkins with a mechanical transplanter. And so that's kind of how I got a start in it. And when I started, I think I only had maybe the very first year, maybe a half acre or so. So I didn't have a ton and I was able to borrow a transplanter from, uh, from a fellow grower and kind of just. I guess it's a lot of it's how you start and then that's just kind of how you're uh, how you develop your your system around that um so for me that the transplanting uh, i did a wide range of varieties I, and so it was nice because i had almost complete dictation of you know where the varieties were placed i didn't i could switching varieties was as easy as grabbing a different plant uh, it was, I didn't have to empty a seed box. And, and also I, I liked the fact of being able to make really good use of the seed. Uh, a lot of the pumpkin seeds, especially over time, certainly uh, some can get re reasonably expensive. So you're, you're getting the best benefit of your, of your seed and really good plant spacing uh, with the transplanting. So that's kind of a little bit about kind of my maybe method to my madness or, or why I've liked to go down that 
that route and uh, continue to. Now, Rod, I want to come back to you here for a moment. For, for a guy like me who doesn't know a whole lot about this, I know that I go look for pumpkins in October. But there's a lot more that goes into it than just us coming out on in October and, and picking those. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the timeline of this. I know as far as terminating cover crops, a lot of corn and soybean growers were just doing that here recently before they went to plant their crop. What's the timeline on pumpkins? Is it similar? Well, here we uh, we let the we, we plant the, the entire farm other than the uh, strawberries, of course, that are overwintering and we grow blueberries and raspberries. But any bare ground we plant to a cover crop, uh, generally the last several years, it's just been uh, two bushel of cereal rye. And we let we like it thick. We let that get up like in uh, we're, we're going to uh, experiment with transplanting uh, about 10 acres of strawberries no-till this year. We've been working on a no-till transplanter. But uh, the, the pumpkins are the one crop we let the rye uh, grow. We let it... Uh, you know, it'll as long as long as it, it can be headed out. Because we try to plant pumpkins oh around May twenty fifth to June first or so here, depending on weather conditions and field conditions. So we'll let that rye as long as it's not full of viable grain. We let it. We don't worry about uh, about trying to uh, kill it. We will plant right into it, and uh, then we roll it. And the roller. I, I kind of feel the roller when it's that tall or that mature, that close to producing seed, the roller will just about kill it. But we do put a little burn down with our pre-plant uh, chemical to, to make sure we got it. And we're planting into a big, thick mat of, of, uh, of rye. And it, it seemed to work pretty good. We had one year where it got a little bit dry afterwards and we were, we were worried that all that, uh, that rye material was sucking a lot of moisture up until the time we plant it, but we, it, they, pumpkins came right up and looked good. So knock on wood, we've been lucky the last four or five years. Amanda, what about you? I, I know that you said that you've got, you, you terminate your cover crops and, and do some things. Talk, talk to me a little bit about your program and, and how you get started there. Yeah. So we, of course, have our cover crop, the cereal rye. That's the only cover crop at this time that we've experimented with. Um, we'll burn down, we'll do the burn down, and then we go in and roll it as well. We um, our pumpkins right after that. And then, you know, throughout the season, just we do have to handle some weed management. We don't direct seed until the first or second week in June. So we're a little bit later because we're not doing retail or wholesale. Um, we're just doing the U-Pick. So we don't have individuals coming out until the end of September. Really, that's our first opening weekend. So that's when June seems to work out with us as far as planting. And we let the cereal rye get really tall as well. So, Amanda, you mentioned you're relatively new at this. Uh, talk about some tips you might give to someone who is also just getting started. Yeah, absolutely. I think for individuals that are just getting started, I know us, um, my husband and I here, we really did our research. I do also work for Purdue Extension. I am the ag educator in Tipton County. So I was looking into extension specialists 
and trying to see any publications that they have or call them directly. I told them we're getting into this. What should we know? Um, a lot of good resources as far as our biggest issue was finding a way to terminate the ride and being a small producer, just getting a um, roller crimper wasn't necessarily cost effective for us. But then we did learn after going to some workshops that in Indiana, some county um, soil and water districts actually will have roller crimpers that you could borrow or even talking to other farmers and seeing if there's that equipment that you could share if you are a smaller producer. Rod, how about you? You you mentioned you're you're not too deep into this as you are some of the other crops out there. What tips do you have for those just getting started? Well, I you know we're not near. Nathan was talking about selecting different varieties. We we throw all the big pumpkins in the same seed hopper. You know that's part of the fun for the people. The we do we do separate the specialty stuff the the warty, the gourds and the warty pumpkins and the white pumpkins and the. The pies, but the big pumpkins will throw eight or nine varieties into the seed uh, hopper and just plant them as a, you go. You might have a, a bush type and you might have a, a vining type right right in the same row next to each other. It doesn't seem to be a problem for us. We don't have a fancy crimper. We use a, a color mulcher. We, we put the tines up on it so the tines are not in the ground and we roll her down with the color packer or color mulcher. Uh, we're not real scientific here, but it's, it's worked wonderful on our ground. You're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast. It's presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. More on their efforts at ccsin.org. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and I'm joined today by a group of experts here in this area, no-till pumpkins. We're talking with Amanda Baird, Nathan Johanning, and Rod Johnson. And Nathan, talk to me a little bit about your operation. Do you have issues with weeds? Uh, I wish I could say I did, but certainly weeds are always an issue. Uh, I think, you know, I'm always looking at different options, especially through some of our research. Uh, weed management was actually part of what I went to school for and working in different systems. So I'm looking at different approaches to handle things. Uh, you know, for us, I think, you know, the no-till, so not tilling the soil and bringing up new weed seeds is important, and then the residue from any kind of cover, and then uh, we still have enough weed pressure that, that I still, you know, we still need some of our, our, our pre-emergence herbicides that are helping to suppress some added weed germination. Um, other things that I, you know, that, that will get a long ways, especially if you have a field that has fairly low weed pressure and not planting into a, a area that has very heavy infestations of weeds. But for us beyond that, I certainly, we go through, I'm fairly rigorous and we'll go through and walk either hoe and yank out, especially things like water hemp and, and other problematic weeds to keep them from going to seed and to try to, you know, uh, kind of hand rogue out anything that, that we can. I have gone through also used a, a shielded sprayer with some some contact herbicides to go down the rows before they uh, before they vine out uh, to try to help you know manage especially if there be a flush of small weeds that that comes in so uh, the options are definitely different a little bit you know cultivation isn't an option but I still feel um, I feel like we can we're gaining more than we're losing by you know using that no-till and just approaching those weed management challenges from a little different direction. 
Rod, what about you? Do you have any weed issues up there on your U-Pick farm? Oh, we've we've got all kind of weed issues. <laughs> you name a weed and we've got it. Pumpkins are probably one of our least uh, weed pressured. If you get a good two bushel of cereal, right, you get a good stand, it's in good and thick. Uh, you can go in early in the spring and spray some 2,4-D for any any uh, escapes or any early weeds you have and with uh, with the pre-emerge uh, chemicals we have we don't do much uh, hand labor in them anymore we just can't afford it anymore we've got so much other stuff going on and so much little help that uh, but but all in all they've been fairly clean the last but you know we've been doing this with the cover crops now for oh I think probably about eight years so we're, we're trying we're trying to get use the cover crops to get the weeds under, you know, under control and strawberries, they're terrible, difficult. There's not many chemicals and, uh, you know, a strawberry crop is in for four years. So weeds are a constant battle. As our time comes to a close here on this, the hat soil health podcast, uh, Amanda, let me come back to you and let's just talk about obviously being a, an extension educator for Purdue there in Tipton County. Uh, you are a resource, but what are some other resources that folks that might be interested in pumpkins, no-till pumpkins, what resources are available that uh, folks should check out? Yeah, so if you're in Indiana, one of the resources as far as pumpkin production is going to be the Midwest Vegetable Production Guide, as well as reaching out to your Extension County office to give you the names of some specialists, uh, Liz Maynard has been very helpful, as well as some of the pumpkin trials that they'll do at the different Purdue um, parks around the state. So those Purdue Ag Centers are really helpful in the information that are coming out. And also just looking at the Indiana um, Midwest Cover Crop Council, they're putting out publications too, as far as cover crops. And Rod, what about you? What's been helpful as you go through this process of, of learning each season about no-till pumpkin production? Well, uh, we're, we're fortunate that uh, we have Liz Maynard in our area. She's been uh, a, a good resource. We've tried to go to uh, Illinois meetings, and uh, we have some friends over in Ohio that have been doing the no-till pumpkins on a way larger scale, and, uh, you know, just about the time you think you get get it figured out, Mother Nature will throw you a curveball, and everything you've been doing isn't right. So we're kind of we kind of are learning as we go every year. Nathan, it kind of sounds like the best thing to do is talk to somebody who's done it before, and and those that are extension educators like yourself. Yeah, I think I would have to echo all the you know the resources that uh, that these guys have, have mentioned. I think also uh, I've worked again to try to do some uh, some pumpkin field days similar to some of the work that Purdue has done. We're actually planning to have one again this fall, all things permitting. So we're hoping to have that. And the biggest thing with that is there's research trials and variety, but I think also it's the uh, kind of echoing what the others say. It's getting to meet other growers. It's a, you get a group of you know 50 or 100 pumpkin growers from around the around the Midwest. You can talk to them, hear what they're doing, and just learn from each other. I have learned, I would say, the majority of what I have learned either from doing it or talking to someone else that's done it, uh, and and just trying to build my system off of all those experiences. Nathan, Amanda, Rod, thank you so much for joining us here on the Hat Soil Health Podcast. And 
a lot of good information out there for folks to take in and see if they can try to do it all all themselves. Uh, I think we we gave a lot of folks a lot of things to work with today. So thank you so much for joining us on the Hat Soil Health Podcast. And that concludes our first ever Specialty Crops Soil Health Podcast. Thank you for joining us. This has been a presentation of Hoosier Ag Today and brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana. You can find out more about their programs at ccsin.org. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. This is Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.